The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hey, everyone. It's Leah. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had last September with Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn and author of the books Masters of Scale and The Startup of You. Now, he's got a new show on LinkedIn's podcast network called The Startup of You, which is exploring how we can all think of ourselves as the CEO of our own businesses, otherwise known as our lives. Summer is often a time where we recharge, we reflect, and we dream about what's next. So I think this is the perfect time for our conversation. And I wanted to start off with what he perceived about the current professional climate, which at the time was the great reshuffle. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everyone. I'm Leah Smart, and welcome to In the Arena, a LinkedIn self-development podcast. Our show explores the vulnerable aspects of the human experience to inspire transformation. This week, I'm talking to founder, entrepreneur, and investor, Reid Hoffman, on his recent book, Masters of Scale, also the name of his podcast. If you haven't checked out Masters of Scale, I would highly suggest it. It has the stories and advice from some of the most successful people in the world that Reid sits down with. These people live by counterintuitive principles that whether or not you're interested in starting your own business, you can apply directly to how you design your life. This conversation was pre-recorded from a speaker series, so special thanks to Reed and the Wait What team for allowing us to use it. Again, if you haven't checked out Masters of Scale, podcast, and the book, I would highly encourage it and enjoy our conversation. We're here today to talk to Reed about his recent book, Masters of Scale, following his acclaimed podcast, Masters of Scale, where he sits down with visionaries who are founders and leaders from companies like Apple, Nike, Netflix, Spotify, all companies we've heard of and probably frequent or utilize their services. So uh, he sat down with these leaders to understand what it really takes to scale an organization, understand more about entrepreneurship, and of course, share all of that with us. Um, But starting off, Reid, you know, Thinking about the current kind of climate, the professional climate that we're in, we're in the midst of this great resignation and also the great reshuffle. And I'm curious to know what that signals to you about where entrepreneurship could be headed. Well, part of the thing that I think why entrepreneurship is so important and so key is it's how new institutions, new products, new services are all built. Um, sometimes you need that because you have an accelerating universe because of technological change. Um, sometimes you have kind of new markets or new societies coming online. Obviously, in this kind of great reshuffles, restarts like the pandemic, how it affects many industries, how it affects many individuals, um, you're going to have a lot of that. And so I think it becomes now more than ever, it's like, well, um, a bunch of things are going to become irrelevant. A bunch of things are going to be reshuffled to a kind of a, I wouldn't call it a blank slate, but a beginning state. Uh, and entrepreneurship is the way that we, uh, we, we, we build past that. Entrepreneurship is the way that we, um, we create that future out of, you know, kind of picking which possibilities in the world we want to build towards and make things better for society and for individuals. And so I'd say um, uh, we're on a path towards that. 
And what possibilities most excite you right now? Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, there's, I guess that I would give answers in three vectors. Um, so one vector is kind of my classic kind of Silicon Valley, venture capitalist at Greylock technological thing, which is their whole set of interesting technologies. It's artificial intelligence as it applies to all industries. It's cryptocurrency. Uh, reinventing the 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 kind of the foundations of how a platform of how you can build new kinds of financial products. Um, there's you know kind of new forms of productivity and how we work together. Obviously, a bunch of them accelerated by the pandemic and you know kind of using you know um, you know teams and other kinds of things as ways of collaborating together, but also a variety of other uh, kinds of projects in in so doing. Um, but then also AR and VR and synthetic biology. And, you know, I just did this uh, with SPACs. I just did Joby, you know, it, like we're now go heading towards the flying car, um, now green and eco and, and all the rest. And so there's this kind of the whole stack of things. That's one zone. And, and we, are, we are, if anything, more going on technologically now than there has been at any point in history and all of the um, both mostly opportunities from that. Obviously, you have to steer around risks and so forth, but opportunities from that. Second thing would be, um, you know, kind of what are we? What are the problems we need to solve at scale? So, like for example, one of the things that I uh, on clean tech, um, but like one of the things like climate change, is that people tend to think, oh, well, what the really important thing is to get a, together on an agreement on uh, dropping consumption, and actually, in fact. Uh, we, what we need is uh, removing carbon from the atmosphere, um, uh, you know, car clean coal, uh, you know, yes, a carbon marketplace would be good if we can get that happen, but, you know, clean energy, uh, which will then power removing that, maybe some geoengineering, all of the technological solutions, like part of where people are not paying enough attention to technology is that, um, you know, governments of the world, rather than sitting around saying, hey, because we're lawyers, this should be law, <laughs> right? Um, we should be inventing technology for it. We should be doing Apollo uh, moonshots. And then very lastly and quickly, because I recognize I'm going on at length on, the, on, this, on, this, on, on this area, um, I do think that the, we're seeing a bunch of the um, application of these kinds of technologies thinking much more about uh, society and kind of social good. And like, how do you apply, like, for example, things to, um, you know, justice within society or other kinds of things. And I think those you're also seeing, you know, like one of the nonprofits that that actually uh, I meet with all the time uh, when I'm at LinkedIn, because that they come and do the board meeting there is Opportunity at Work, which is how do we get uh, people, and they work with Meg Garlinghouse, so how do we get people to, uh, from uh, diverse and underrepresented communities into the, into the tech world, tech jobs, tech careers. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pulling from that last one because you're hearing a lot more, and I feel like every day I'm reading an article about uh, with this great resignation, people are looking for more meaning and purpose in their work than ever before. So this social good piece is becoming kind of the the center of, of their decisions around where they're going to work, but also what they're going to do. I'm curious what you make of this. So I think this is a super positive trend. Because um, I think the question mm -hmm. is, is um, you know, the whole like traditional kind of godfather phrase is just business. It's like, no, no, it's just human beings. It's just society. It's, it's, it's you want to, yes, obviously provide a product and service people want. Yes, obviously provide jobs and so forth. But you want to do it with the feeling that the work that you do um, improves the world, makes the world in a better place. And so that kind of meaning, that kind of connection is, I think, exactly the right kind of thing to be asking 
because um, all 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 everyone in society is a human being first, is a human being before they're a business person, a human being before they're anything else, and and how do we contribute well to that? And so I think this is a you know awesome trend. I absolutely agree. So. Gallup released a report uh, around the 2020 workforce or 2021 workforce report. And what they centered was well-being, which is different than wellness. Uh, well-being for them has, and from what they've seen, has five pillars. And career is one of those pillars. And so the question is, you know, the, the person read your book, Blitzscaling, and now, you know, we're in this pandemic. And what they're curious mm. about is how do people move forward on their project or product with velocity, right? It's social good is mm. here, but it's not slowing us down. Um, how do we do that and also simultaneously prevent burnout? Well, um, Blitzscaling is hard to do without kind of not just burning the candle from both ends, but throwing the whole candle into the fire. It's a very intense period. It's frequently driven by kind of competitive um, uh, circumstances within the market, competition, et cetera. And it's kind of first the scale, sets the platform, sets the rules as a way of doing it. So um, there's no real way to do it without it being tiring and you need a sabbatical or a break or anything else. Now, there's various things you can do to be smart about uh, blitzscaling is a marathon of sprints. Um, you know, building things to scale is this marathon of sprints to say, well, uh, make sure you take rest, make sure you get adequate sleep, make sure that you're kind of have positive energy and reinforcement in your network community, your team, the people around you. That being said, that doesn't mean that you aren't kind of like throwing the whole candle in and really going for it. And in terms of the social good part of it, that should be part of your mission, part of what you're doing. Um, it shouldn't be slowing you down. Um, it should be um, the, the 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 like an, an element, um, maybe a maybe the foundational element for where you're going and what you're doing. And so, um, you know, I, I, there's there are things that sometimes slow you down. Like if you encounter like, oh, maybe we're gonna have this really big risk in in as we scale in society or to individuals, and we need to navigate it right now. And and slowing down for that is totally good, but. Uh, you don't need to slow down for thinking about it. Uh, part of in Blitzscaling, we have a whole chapter on responsible Blitzscaling for how to analyze which kinds of risks you should add to your multi-threaded approach as you scale the company. You're, uh, the marathon of sprints versus maybe the marathon of rest, maybe think about in addition to our calendar, like a plug-in that's like, all right, based on your calendar, your marathon of sprints needs to end next week <laughs> and you need to yeah. rest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and... And to that, to that read, what, you know, what's applicable that you've done to support your own kind of energy as you move forward with, with everything that you've accomplished and continue to? So um, I think there's a couple of things that I think is good for everyone to do. So one is I make sure I like all uh, effective work, effective thing is effective decision-making. So make sure you're always in a place to be effective decisioning. That's sleep. That's kind of emotionally balanced. That's you know, kind of thinking about uh, and however you get there, it could be meditation, could be something else, um, you know, kind of uh, for that kind of intense part of the run. Next thing is to make sure that you're thinking about rest the right way. So frequently uh, we're kind of like, oh, rest is vacation. And look, vacation can be great. You go, you plan, you go somewhere, you're there for a week or two and so forth. I frequently find when I do that kind of like go to the end of the world vacation, when I get back, it's like, well, now I need a rest because while the vacation was totally awesome, um, it was very tiring. And so part of 
I do those selectively, but what I do do is like, oh, I need a day off or I need three days off. And, and, and what's the kind of thing that's very quickly recharging? You know, for me, it can be reading non, uh, either nonfiction or science fiction, uh, you know, kind of an, and having a little bit of, of time doing that could be just taking a, a long hike. Um, and so, uh, you know, have that sense of it and then be aware of what things are energy drainers for you, which things are stress and try to mitigate them. Now, if you can get away from doing them, great. But frequently it's like, well, that's, I got to do that as part of work or part of what is doing. Well, how do I make it a less of an energy drain or, or more easy to do? And, and that always different for different folks. But for me, that's, you know, kind of getting a little bit of time to recharge, you know, like I, I spent at least 10 to 15 minutes, you know, every day kind of doing a little bit of like something that I think is a, like, uh, personally energizing or kind of, uh, you know, like, uh, feels like a pick me up. Awesome. Yeah, something that's personally energizing. And I also, I, I hear what you're saying is intention, which is something I think a lot of us lose track of uh, when it comes to well-being. And that's, it's great to see it's coming to the forefront of, of how we move forward. Um, all right. So we've had our rest and we're coming back and we are thinking about our new ideas. We're moving into entrepreneurship. And one of my favorite quotes from the book and from Linda Rottenberg is that good ideas die in the shower. Can you talk a little bit about that and your perspective on it? Well, there's a couple of ways uh, that that applies. One, um, and this is part of why, you know, Linda, who is the amazing uh, kind of co-founder and CEO of Endeavor, you know, entrepreneurship around the world is as a bias to action, right? Like you have the idea, you don't do anything. Um, like you have an I um, part of being entrepreneurial is don't over plan, don't over pre plan, try something, experiment, uh, get data. Um, frequently you'll find that you're at best partially right about the kind of thing that you're that you're thinking about and the thing that you want to kind of go on and and do. And so don't don't allow this fact that you have a moment of reflection. Like, you know, I am surprised asking the masters of scale question how often people say, you know, where do you think big? They think in the shower. <laughs> it's like, okay, that it's a meditative moment, you're relaxed, <laughs> right? It's very comfortable. Um, and that makes total sense. But on the other hand, have that kind of bias to action, and then um, actually, that's probably that's probably the principal thing to to leave people with. Yeah, and then I love that you said, um, you know, instead of asking what do you think of my idea, so you get out of the shower and you call your friend and say, "What do you think?" Instead, you say, "What's wrong with my idea?" Yep. And what so, does that do for part all of, the of reason, us? Yeah. Well. So, you know, as per the earlier thing, when you're saying, look, how do you how do you maintain that mental well-being while you're doing these intense things like blitzscaling and all the rest? Um, the answer is make sure you have positivity coming. That's generally speaking a very good thing. You have to figure out the right thing. But but by the way, getting positivity about your idea is actually not helpful to you. Because um, if you ask someone, what do you think about my idea? What they think you're saying, what the vast majority of people hear you saying is, you want reassurance, you want support, you want uh, alliance, friendship, and if they're sitting there talking to you and they have, you know, kind of this, this ember of, oh, let me, let me, let me help, and, oh, your idea is very good or your idea is great. That's not helpful to you. Um, what's helpful to you is what might go wrong, what might be, be, what might be broken, what you might need to fix. So for example, when I started LinkedIn, I run around to all the smartest people I knew because I was and said, what do you think about this idea, e.g., what's wrong with it? And what uh, two-thirds of the smart people I said is said, okay, this is a 
You're pitching a network. First person in network, no value. Second person in network, no value. Third person in network, no value. No one's ever going to invite anyone in. This is going to be a failed project. LinkedIn's never going to work. Um, and that was, by the way, a smart, intelligent perspective that you got by asking what's wrong with this idea from a number of different people. And when you, uh, when I got that, I realized, okay, the absolute top problem to solve and to have a theory of the case about why I was right and all of these smart people might be wrong was how would I get the network to grow initially when there was no value proposition because there wasn't enough people in the network? And what were the set of things to do to enable that? And you know, part of what I realized was only a small percentage of people needed to see that future or invest in it or invite people and so forth. And eventually you would you would you would build to having enough of a network density, you would begin to have network value propositions. But that was part of the um, the challenge. And that's part of the reason why I like asking that kind of question of what's wrong with the idea. And by the way, this is true for everything, not just entrepreneurship projects. You can say, well, I've got the following idea for, you know, kind of like uh, building this thing in this architecture or, uh, you know, joining this nonprofit board and so forth. But getting that case and having a, uh, a theory of it is one of the things that makes that game a lot better. How do you know when uh, someone who says everything's wrong with the idea is wrong? <laughs> um, well, sometimes you have a, th a theory about why they're wrong. Um, and sometimes you have like, this is what I know that, that they don't know. Um, for that, sometimes uh, you have, well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to have grit and persistence. Um, sometimes you have balanced perspective from other people that you've talked to. Um, but, you know, part of the reason why what I tell entrepreneurs, like some entrepreneurs have this tendency to say, Hey, let's be, um, let's keep it like the idea close to my chest. Let's not, what's important is the idea that I've, that I've created. And I can't let other people know because then they'll see it and they'll run with it. That's actually almost never the case. Um, what's really the case is you're in motion, you're assembling the network around you, uh, you're getting, you know, investors and, and advisors and, and team members and, and, you know, and, and an entire kind of, you know, even just allies in, in, in motion and you're refining. And the reason why, you know, kind of, uh, getting asking for the no's, asking for the for the challenges is really important. Is because you're refining uh, your idea, you're refining the kind of thing that you that you um, uh, you know you kind of see it and 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 um, uh, in your building, and so that's the thing that kind of uh, gives you the advantage. And so um, now. So when you have a smart person, you don't you know giving you feedback, even if they're wrong, and they say everything is wrong. What is it? Why is that smart person saying why what you're you're thinking is wrong? And having a theory about why it is you're right and they're wrong. Mm. Yeah, it's it reminds me of in, in positive psychology we talk about um, truth spotting. Like, how can that person just be two percent right, and then taking it from there? When we get back, Reed digs into what entrepreneurship has in common with you guessed it, Dungeons and Dragons. That's after the break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. 
a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with my conversation with Reid Hoffman, originally conducted as part of LinkedIn's speaker series. Um, you know, as I was reading your book, I was also thinking about the fact that, um, you know, it's about a lot of these counterintuitive principles in entrepreneurship. And not all of us may want to start our own businesses, but we can imagine that we're each sort of entrepreneurs in our own lives or of our own lives. And I started thinking, you know, can you apply these principles to everyday life? And I'm curious what your thoughts are on can you and if so, how? So this is actually part of the reason I wrote my first book, The Startup Review, which, you know, for all the LinkedIn folks is based on the kind of very similar set of thinking that led to LinkedIn as well, uh, which is um, life is a team sport, uh, not an individual sport. And the, the folks who are your friends and colleagues and allies and, and all the rest are part of how you get the amplification of a network uh, where the, the, the network isn't just a, a safety net, but also a trampoline uh, in terms of how you do it. And... When I went to give the uh, the commencement speech in my high school, you know, a bunch of seventeen-year-olds, and say, "Here, you know, what have I learned that could be possibly, um, you know, of of interest to you in your lives?" It's everyone should be the entrepreneur of their own life. Um, that even if you uh, only a small percentage of people should actually start companies, but everybody should. Uh, uh, approach their life the way that an entrepreneur does. And so I took the advice that I give as a board member and as an investor and as a uh, advisor to startups, and I condensed it to this kind of set of principles for an individual, for thinking about like how to, how to make decisions and how do I uh, build my network and how do I have uh, take risks, smart risks, and how do I have ABZ planning and all the rest. And that thinking about your life as an entrepreneur, because you know, with the pace of change in industries and so forth, um, you know, markets are changing and industries are changing and companies are changing. And so there isn't any more a career ladder, a career escalator. There's no more, you know, kind of discover your parachute and say, well, I'm passionate about this. And so this path will be my career. It's much more like a jungle gym. It's much more kind of the entrepreneur of now I'm going this way and now I'm going this way and this is what I add in and and I'm charting how industries and, and markets are changing. Um, for how it works. And that requires an entrepreneurial mindset, which is part of the reason why, you know, the books, uh, part of the reason why the podcast, you know, part of the reason why, you know, doing, you know, a lot of uh, entrepreneurial philanthropy, not just Endeavor, but also Kiva and other things as a way to say, this is how we, we, we build our future worlds. 
I, I imagine, um, you know, it, as, as I heard your story, and for those of you that haven't listened, um, I believe it's season four of Masters of Scale, Reed gets interviewed by June Cohen. So you hear the two-part story of how Reed became Reed, which was flipping the, flipping the, the mic to the other side of the table. And um, what I learned about Reed as I was listening to this is he has a keen interest and in, and um, kind of keen interest in fantasy and in fantasy stories. So uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons was one of his first uh, you know kind of forays in this, and it's led up to you know Star Wars, and, and that was why I shared that or asked that question in the beginning. Um, and Reed, one of the common things that are themes from many of these stories um, is this hero's journey of being called to an adventure. Um, you know, and, and the famous Joseph Campbell cycle. I'm curious how you relate entrepreneurship to the hero's journey. Well, it's part of the reason why June decided to title that, you know, be the hero. One of the things I was saying is like, when I think about building organizations, it's how do you have people be the heroes of their own journeys and then life as a team sport collaborating on the heroic effort for for what you build. And, um, and you know the the Joseph Campbell, the hero of a thousand faces, you know, highly recommended. It's part of what um, the mythology that that George Lucas, you know, built his amazing stories off of. Um, I've never got a chance to meet Joseph Campbell, but you know, I actually have uh, read the book, and it's fun. Um, and uh, and it's kind of this question of of you know, like your earlier thing about like people care more and more about meaning. Well, part of meaning is do I feel like I am. You know, you know, and not in an, uh, an arrogant way, but I'm on a hero's journey. There's things that I'm doing that are contributing well, that I'm I'm putting in blood, sweat, and tears to make this stuff happen. And people are happiest when they feel that they're on a hero's journey, and they're on a hero's journey collaboratively with other people who are also on a hero's journey, and we are on this, you know, hero's journey together. And so that notion of thinking about kind of paths, um, you know, and obviously. You know, at LinkedIn, we think everything from, you know, how do we help with finding the right information and making the right decisions today to career paths and that, that kind of going through that path. Um, and obviously, you know, part of the life being a team sport is, you know, LinkedIn is helping people, you know, assemble their teams, helping them make it uh, easy to interact with each other and help each other. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm still hopeful that more and more people will realize about, link realize about LinkedIn is, well, why do I connect with you? I connect with you in order to help you because then you can know who are the other people I might be able to introduce you to on your hero's journey that might help you solve a particular problem. And my connecting with you is giving you a possible conditional access to those folks, because obviously it has to be both good for both people um, in terms of the, the semantics and, the, and that kind of connectivity. And that's part of how we go on these hero's journeys together. It's it's um, I love your lean into the idea that um, we all we are all on our own hero's journey. We all want to be heroes in our own, own story, which doesn't mean we have to go it alone. It just means, uh, you know, our job as leaders is to awaken that in other people. And some of the stories I've been reading recently, including Robert Smith's story, he's the CEO of Vista Equity Partners. At the end of Reed's book, he shares Robert's story and Robert um, talks about his own story and references specifically something I thought was interesting because you hear it multiple times, which is that he was lucky. And he says he was on the lucky bus 
right? That got him to the right school that again, then led to a number of different things. You hear about this with Bill Gates's story of, you know, the mother's group and the bake sale that got him in touch with the PC. Ryan Roslansky talks about this as well. And I'm curious, number one, what role does luck play in these, you know, you say not everyone should start a company, but what role does luck play in the people's lives who do start companies? And how do we start to democratize luck through access? So, um, so first, luck always plays an important role. Um, and, and, and while, you know, the, the people who are successful like to say, well, it's manifest destiny. It was just the thing that, that, that made it happen, um, either accidentally or intentionally, they're being a little bit blind because like, for example, what does your competition look like? What is the, what are the, you know, uh, you know, what are the set of circumstances that led you to be in a place where you had the resources, where you could see this particular opportunity and so forth. And a lot of that happens. I mean, like, for example, um, you know, I was lucky enough to be born uh, to a family where by having a kind of a middle class thing, I could take risk because I could always move back and kind of rent a room from my parents and, and, you know, get a job and like I work, so I to take more risk. I went to Stanford. I could see what you know, kind of tech entrepreneurship was possible. That then opened up, you know, kind of paths and opportunities uh, to me, and then kind of the network around me from that. And then to the democratizing, you know, there's always going to be, you know, we're never going to have perfect equality of opportunity. Um, you know, just life and world is too messy. But obviously, we have a lot of amazingly talented people that don't have the network access to either taking risk or uh, getting capital or, um, you know, kind of um, the knowledge and role modeling and network for the, that, that requires, because it takes a network to do entrepreneurship in order to do that. And so um, what we do as society is we try to enable more of that. What we do as philanthropists and leaders is, you know, build out those networks. It's like the, you know, the plus one initiative, you know, kind of at LinkedIn. And what are the kinds of things in order to do that? And you, you try to get it, you like, like not perfect, but just good. And so the simplest way that I kind of work on this myself for it is what are the ways that you're taking the broad swaths of folks who are, you know, kind of where you're talented that are kind of, um, you know, kind of underrepresented in terms of there's a lot of talent there and we're not seeing as much of the right network connectivity. So for example, at Greylock, we work with management leaders of Tomorrow um, uh, and a bunch of other, uh, you know, great organizations in order to build that network connectivity for, you know, um, uh, you know founders uh, from the, uh, the, 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 the people of color communities, um, you know, or, or women, um, in other organizations. And so you, you, you intentionally think, how do I build that network to have better, better paths for all of his talent in order to do it? But it's never going to be, you know, the rhetoric is everyone has exactly the same equal opportunity. And that's never the case. Um, there's always, and you just can't, there's just like, well, what, what does competition for your particular idea look like? And, and a bunch of other things. And so what you do is you kind of go, um, you hope that you've, you've built as many good paths so that people can improve it, can be entrepreneurial, can do things, um, and then uh, you amplify uh, people along their paths. Mm. So it's like that if, you know, the lucky people go back and instead of letting the kind of path close behind them, they carve out their journey. 
Um, Melody Hobson was a great example of this. It was one of my favorite conversations that you had around how she does this with people of color and entrepreneurs of color. So I love hearing about that. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to pivoting. Um, so, you know, part of your book and, and the conversations you've had have been around, um, you know, what happens when you make a pivot? And Toby Lutke's story was one that stood out to me. He's the founder of Shopify, but he started off wanting to sell snowboards so and snow gear. So he moved from this to actually founding Shopify. Um, one of the things that, that was actually uh, intriguing to me and I wanted to hear from you on is Tony or Toby shares that his co-founder uh, along the way said, this isn't for me, we're going in different directions and left. And so I've seen, and we've all seen that entrepreneurship can often be romanticized. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about some of the toughest parts of starting and scaling a business. Oh, there's all kinds. It's super difficult and painful and super stressful. And you, um, when I started my first company, uh, one of the uh, executives at Apple's eWorld who had gone in entrepreneurship about six months before me um, uh, wrote me a one-line email to welcome to where 15 minutes is the difference between exultation and terror. And that's roughly like, we're going to, we're going to build this new thing. It's going to totally change the world. Oh God, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And, and that path <laughs> has been true on all of my entrepreneurial journeys, both as an entrepreneur and as an investor. And there's so many things that go wrong all the time. One of the things that I frequently tell uh, entrepreneurs that I'm, um, you know, advising in, board member of investing in is say every startup and maybe it's like almost every but functionally every startup has a valley of the shadow moment where you go why did we think this was a good idea right this is like this is like like we're never going to make this work and that's actually part of it and so there's so many different parts of stress and and by the way even as you begin to get more like you say, well, okay, we got our customers, we've got revenue, we're profitable now, we're scaling, maybe we're we're significantly better than our competitors and all the rest. Even so, all of that kind of pattern of stress and uncertainty because you have to, uh, what got you here usually doesn't get you there. And so that means you have to be changing around your organization. Sometimes a treasured person earlier in your organization no longer is the right fit. And it's like, ah, oh, my gosh, I, I won't want them to be. They would want to be. And how do you sort that out? And there's just all of these different things. And you go, well, okay, we're not doing this as well as we could. Um, we need to be doing this better. Um, and so it's 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 part of the reason why both in blitzscaling and in, and in Masters of Scale, the thing is letting fires burn uh, and embracing chaos is part of it because you understand that like that's a natural part of the journey, but it's also, of course, super stressful. Yeah, there are all these kind of pieces that go in, into play with this. And sometimes it's like we see the highlight reel, but we don't always see what's behind all the highlights. There's many, many more stressful moments than the highlights. I mean, like like part of I know where you kind of the arc is like when you tell the heroic story, it's like, oh, and conquered adversity and it was totally walk. And I was like, oh, well, how much? Look, when someone says it's a learning experience, well, how much blood did you leave on the floor? How much sweat did you leave on the floor? How many tears did you leave on the floor? And the answer is a lot. Uh, but you know, the joy of creating something that really makes a difference to a whole bunch of people, eventually you kind of go, ooh, that was worth it. Hmm. Yeah, and the, I, I, I imagine the impact or the importance of conviction and kind of that back to that meaning and purpose if you're going to go on a journey like this. Um, so obviously LinkedIn was a great idea, uh, but we had a question from one of our employees that asked, if you had to go from start to finish, with some one of your startups, maybe LinkedIn, in half the time, what would you do? 
Well, to some degree, you know, part of why, um, you know, kind of writing blitzscaling MLs is you actually are trying to move at at speed. Uh, startups have a, they're much more like, uh, they have a clock. A clock could be capital, clock could be market opportunity, clock could be competitors, et cetera. So you are generally speaking, mostly trying to move with speed. And that's part of all the tips in like blitzscaling and so where there's like, what kinds of counterintuitive things can you do uh, in order to do it? Now, the precise definition on blitzscaling is um, prioritizing speed over efficiency in an environment of uncertainty. And so what you can do is you can, the, the dials you can turn and say, well, we prioritize speed over efficiency. That could be capital efficiency. We're hiring a bunch more people. Could be uh, talent efficiency, like we're hiring people and then sorting it out um, as we go versus methodically and really, really well planned. Could be uncertainty. We don't necessarily, we figure we'll figure out our business model as we get there. Um, you know, all of those things are 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 the tools for doing that. Um, and that's precisely because one of the things that we really learn in Silicon Valley and also in China is that that, that speed coefficient is really critical. So it's kind of like there isn't like an additional secret. All of those secrets are the things that we're talking about in Masters of Scale and Blitzscaling. Got it. And if you had to go, if you had double the time to build LinkedIn, would you have done anything differently? Well, it depends on what you mean by double the time. I mean, one of the things, you know, frequently when you're not, sometimes you're prioritized, you eventually always get to prioritizing efficiency over speed. Like once you get to a certain amount of scale, part of what makes businesses very valuable and part of what we learn as professional business people is how to, um, you know, uh, deliver a product service much, much more efficiently. And, um, and, but sometimes even early, like you're looking for product market fit, there aren't a lot of competitors, um, capital may be hard to come by, then you're prioritizing uh, efficiency. And so if you had twice the time, you probably wouldn't have, have launched quite as early. Uh, you would have built in more features for the launch to get that, that, that use. Um, but on the other hand, of course, do you know the right features? Part of the reason why you launch early, and if you aren't embarrassed by your first product release, you've released too late um, as part of, of, of making that happen is because you're learning from your customers. You're learning from engagement. Uh, so, so, so it's kind of like the, you know, uh, you're trying to move as fast as possible, take the risks that sometimes come with that speed in order to be in that learning curve. So, you know, generally speaking, like, and well, by the way, like when you're doing non-software stuff, like hardware, uh, you want to get it right because otherwise that could be totally fatal. Like uh, building a whole bunch of the wrong things, you spend capital, it's the wrong thing, you just die. You have product defects, you just die, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there are some things that you don't have that, that some things you have to not fail on, you know, in different areas of entrepreneurship. Uh, otherwise, everything fails. And it sounds like what you're what you're saying is, you know, whether it be a company or an idea you have about your life, just getting that minimum viable product out is is really valuable, not overthinking it. Yes. And a bias to action awesome. and a bias to learning. Yeah. Bias to action learning. Amazing. Uh, well, Reed, somehow we have run out of time. I don't know how that happened so quickly. Um, one final question for you just before we go. Is there anything that people don't ask you? that you wish they would ask? Well, I don't know about the wish that I would ask, um, but I would say, um, like for example, the one of the earlier things about 
um, you know, been asked a number of questions about LinkedIn um, over the years. And the one that I like asked in that question, one of the things I already said was that connecting with someone is a way of helping them, right? It's a way of saying here, uh, these are the other people that I are, in addition to you, are valued members of my network. And I am happy to stand as the introducer uh, to facilitate uh, really great connections as each as we all build our teams about how we go do our projects and our careers and our lives and our work. Um, and so, you know, that's, for example, why I do Master's Scale. That's where I do the podcast, the book, is to facilitate that, to enable uh, people to, um, to, to learn from other people's stories and other people's lessons to uh, be the startup of themselves. Love it. And with that, Reed, thank you so much for being a part of the speaker series. Thank you for thinking of LinkedIn, not letting the idea die in the shower. Um, I'm super appreciative of our conversation and reading your book, listening to your podcast. That was Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn. Thanks, Reed. Among other companies and host of the podcast Masters of Scale, as well as the new show, The Startup of You. If you haven't listened to either yet, check them out. He's sharing all of his knowledge and the stories of other global leaders that will inspire you to build and create no matter who you are. If today's episode resonated with you, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can always find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential. Would love to hear from you. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News, and this episode was produced by the amazing LinkedIn Media Production Team with help from Michelle O'Brien. Gratitude to Dan Lujan, Dan Mills, Nicole Roach, Andy Ta, Katya Kostakova, and Lamia Bowden. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I will see you next week.